I'm glad to see all of you in church tonight, and I'm glad you're here because the ones that are not here are going to miss something very special. So, um, y'all can be seated, and I want Sister Emma to come up here. So, Sister Emma's going to testify, so you need to get ready to get encouraged. Praise God. Emma, take your liberty. or his wife or the Lord first and foremost or perhaps I probably have disobeyed the Lord but uh, <clears throat> he's forgiven me but um, last Sunday when we left here um, <clears throat> if y'all don't know I have four children y'all probably have mostly seen three um, and that's because my eldest is in prison and he's been there for nine very long and treacherous years for a mother. And if you don't have someone who has been incarcerated, um, if you have not had a child behind bars for nine years, then you don't understand. So I had posted on Facebook when I found out, I said, you know, when, you do, when they do time, you do time with them because your time stops when they went in because you don't have anything with them anymore. You don't have birthdays. You don't have any type of celebration with them. You don't have anything. You are now on federal, federal time or whatever time they're doing. It's what they say. So... 
I've never claimed that my child is innocent. I've never claimed that he hasn't had any faults. I don't claim that he's perfect. We None of us are. And I just <clears throat> didn't know where to begin when um, Sister Grant asked me to testify tonight. So long story short, if you've known me for any amount of time, um, I've been here for I think maybe 23, 24 years now. Um, and I love my church. I love my family. But I know that my church family has seen me go through a lot and has seen me through a lot. Um, I have, uh, I was married, divorced. Um, for the better part of the time that I've been in church, I was always on my face <laughs> because um my life wasn't quite easy. Um, and I didn't want divorce to be a part of what my legacy was because when I felt that when I was raised that if you marry, you stay married, you work through it all. But this is my story, not my ex-husband's. But I went through a lot. I went through physical abuse. I went through verbal abuse. I went through mental abuse. I went through a whole lot of abuse and I thought I could save him. So I stayed, and so did my children, and they suffered for it. One being my eldest, and I blamed myself a lot for that because I felt that I was supposed to protect him, and I didn't do enough because he ran away from home to get away from a lot that happened in there. So he found a community that accepted him and embraced him, not a good one, but they accepted him, and it landed him in prison. So I don't know why I mentioned that part, but I feel that perhaps someone needs to hear it, that this is not who I've always been. Now, I've always had a song in my heart, and I work at a doctor's office, and I work for, I've always worked at doctor's offices, and they always they say, you're the humming nurse. They say, I come in and they're like, oh, you're the humming nurse. But I'm always humming. Um, I usually don't try to let people know if I've had a bad day or not. But I have a lot of bad days. But they're good days because the Lord carries me through every day. You know, it's only by his grace that I am saved. It's only by his grace that I am where I am. But if you feel that you have no hope in this world, or that your life stops where you're at, then I can't express to you how much, how wrong you are. Because I would not be who I am today without the Lord. I mean, I have failed him miserably, every day, miserably. I am the worst, I feel like I'm the worst sometimes. <laughs> but he loves me every day, he loves me. He has kept me from tragedy. He brought me back from alcoholism. I was, I was drinking a bottle of wine every night to drown my sorrows. I was, you know, I just so I wouldn't know or think or, you know, remember the things that I'd done, the things that I'd been through. Alcohol was amazing to me. It was my best friend, you know. It was just made me happy and just, you know, comforted me, you know. And, but it wasn't. I'd wake up and I'd be in a depression for three days after that three days, and I would cry and ask the Lord, help me, help me so I can stop this. But I never would say, help me stop drinking. 
I don't want alcohol in my life until one day I said, you know what? Help me stop drinking. I don't want alcohol in my life. I don't want it to be a part of my legacy. I don't want this to be what my grandchildren, my children testify about or have to talk about up in the <laughs> when I die. They're going to say, oh, my mom was a drunk. No, <laughs> I couldn't do that. Not to myself, not to my children, not to my husband. And I thought about everything that I'd been through and I could, how could I let the Lord down like that? I just, you know, I just kept letting him down all the time, all the time, all the time. So he's kept me. He's kept me from tragedy. He's kept me from a lot of things that I know could have gone wrong. But Sunday, you know, every time I would pray for my son, I would ask the Lord, bring him home. But I'm almost ashamed to say at sometimes when I would ask, I didn't want him to bring him home. You know, because the life he was living, he was either going to come home and end up back in there, or I was going to have a knock on the door telling me that my son was gone. And we were, we were living in the north side. And I was going to Grace Church off the Beltway because it was close and I could drive there and, you know, be back home. And, you know, the, the drive was sometimes extremely long here. But I figured, you know, I worship the Lord. The, I go in there to worship my way. And um, I remember they asked if you would write somebody's name on the wall, and they called it the one, and write it with faith and believe in what you were writing and asking the Lord for when you wrote that name down. So I remember about two years ago, I wrote my son's name, and I put Jeremy Vela on the wall, and I asked the Lord to save him again because he's, He's saved. He has the Holy Ghost. He's baptized in Jesus' name, and he knows the truth. And so I asked the Lord that day, and I remember I would carry the weight of him in prison all the time. I would carry it all the time, and um, I would go in the shower just so I could cry because when you hold your little one in your arms when he's crying or when he's hurt or when you fix him his favorite meal, Think about the times that you do that for them. And sometimes they want something from you, and you kind of take it for granted, and you're like, oh, well, you know, later, later, later. All I could see is I've never seen my child as the adult that he is. He's 32. But I see him as the five-year-old little boy that would always want me to hold him and carry him and tell him things were going to be okay. And every time I left that prison... I hate going there. I hate it. He wants me to go there, and I go to see him because it lifts his spirits and encourages him, but I hate going there. hate it because I don't just see him. I see all the other prisoners, and my heart just hurts for them because I know that there are good people in there too, you know? I'm like, these are God's children, and yes, they've done wrong, but they're not all bad, and so... Don't take it for granted when your child wants you to hold him because something could happen down the road where someone is going to dictate whether you can even put your hand around him or they're going to tell you sit across and don't touch him or you're going to have to be looking through a glass, you know, 
trying to hear what he's saying because everyone else is so loud and all you want to hear is say, I love you. And what can you really tell somebody when they're behind the glass to encourage them? What? I don't know what to tell him. I don't know what to tell him. And then when you are allowed to touch him or hold him and he hugs you and that hug is so tight and it lasts longer every single time and your grandchildren, his nephews, are holding on to his hand because they don't want to let go and you see the tears in his eyes. That is the hardest thing for a parent. You know, aside from losing a child, that's hard because you can't save him. You can't until somebody says that he can come home. So two years ago, I wrote that name on the wall. And uh, I went up to the, to the front. They asked if anybody wanted to stand in place of somebody. So I went up there, and I was praying. And um, I remember I just felt the Holy Ghost really strong, and I began speaking in tongues, which I'm not judging, but... If you ever go to Grace Church, they don't do a whole lot of that. <laughs> and, you know, kind of they're kind of like, okay, that's it. We're done. Next service. And I'm just like, no, nah, not today. And so I stood up there, and I, I was started speaking in tongues. And a lady, which they always have them lined up there, came and prayed for me. It was a, a black lady, an older lady. And she began speaking in tongues with me. And she began to minister to me, and she told me, she said, your child will be home. You know, you're, he's going to come home. God's got his hand on him. Don't you worry. He has a plan for your son. He said, what is his name? And I said, Jeremy. He's, and I told her the, his full name, Jeremy Villa. He said, she said, well, you're, God has a plan for him. And um, she said, you need to let it go. She said, all that you've been holding, you need to let it go. She said, leave it right here. She said, that's why you're right here right now. And... Um, I remember that I felt something just really lift, and I hadn't felt that in a very long time. Well, really never since he'd been in there. Um, And Sunday, when I got home, I just decided to go look on their website for inmate or offenders website, and um, I refreshed it. And um, I didn't notice when I refreshed because it kept saying the same thing. You know, he had been up for parole, and he kept saying um, offender isn't currently in uh, parole status, you know, parole review. So I hit it, and I didn't look, and then I said, wait a minute, it didn't say that it's still in review. So I picked the phone up again, and I looked at it, and it said, offender is no longer in review status. Um, He has been granted his parole his release date. So a release. He's been granted release. So I was in the room, and my husband was in the living room, and I was in the room by myself. And so he said something, and I guess I didn't respond. But I couldn't respond because I didn't know if to laugh, to cry, to jump. I didn't know what to do. Because my son has turned his life around. He encourages me now. He is living for the Lord in there. He's encouraging others. He's preaching to them. Um, He makes them read the Bible, (laughs) even when they tell him they don't believe in it. Um, But I keep asking the Lord, don't bring him home. Don't bring him home until you're ready. I want it to be your will, not mine, not his. Your will, your will be done, your will. Let it be you, 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 you. 
I said, I know what I'm asking. I said, I know a lot of times I, I ask things and I want things, and we ask, we ask a lot of things. We ask a lot of God, and sometimes we ask so much that he grants us, grants us what we ask, and then we end up regretting it. And I've done that. And I said, I won't do that with my child. I won't do that because I won't, I won't see him fail again. I won't, I won't lose him again. And he's on fire for God. He reads scriptures to me. He writes scriptures to me. Um, I don't think that the Lord would be bringing him home if it wasn't his will and if he wasn't sure that Jeremy was going to be running these aisles as he's promised me. So I just want to thank the Lord tonight and encourage somebody that if you feel you have no hope, oh, there is so much to be hopeful for. I mean, you just, you don't know, you don't know the things that the Lord has done for me. I mean, Sister Grant, Sister Grant knows, Sister Grant knows where I came from. I was, I was one of the ones that um, every Christmas, every Christmas, it never failed. And I could get so embarrassed and I felt so unworthy and so little, but they did it because they loved us. And it never failed that every holiday, this church would clothe my children, feed them, give us a car. We lived in that trailer house back there. I can't express to everyone in here how much my church family means to me. I know that sometimes I feel so unworthy. I mean, of just everything and anything. And I just like, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of my church. I'm in awe of it. And I just, I can't wait. I Monday, after I found out Jeremy was going to be granted his parole, uh, I think it was Monday. When did you ask me to? I had a dream. And it was packed. It was packed. And I have them quite often, actually, at this church. Quite often. And I just, I see it. I see it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I mean, you know, that's all we need to do is go out there and show people in our city that we are the hope that they need. You know? I mean, and I pray that every day that I'm a light, that I'm an encouragement, that I am somebody who they, I don't want them to see me. I want them to see the Lord and the things that he's done for me. But there's not enough time in the day to tell you everything he's done for me or where he's brought me from or what he's done for my children or my entire family. But I just want to thank him tonight for being so good to me, for being so good to my children my family, and for giving me you guys, because I love you all so much, and I cherish every single one of you, and I thank you for all your prayers, because I know all of you have prayed, and I do as well for you. So God bless you, and I love you.
which is the Christmas tree. And a lot of people still take it during this time of the year. Hard time for a lot of people. And um, so, I, you know, I had company all last week, and I didn't have time to study. It was just all these thoughts going over in my head. And then Sunday, um, I was so tired. My company left Saturday, and then Sunday night, we went to an anniversary service at another church. <clears throat> and um, while we were in the back eating after church, I got the text from Emma. And it just it showed that, you know, that he was going to be released. And I was like, what? And, I mean, I just wanted to shout right there. And I, I went over to my husband and, and told him what had happened. And he was so excited. So Monday morning when I was in prayer, um, I just felt like the Lord speak to me and say, thank you, John. Ask Emma to give her testimony because that is the story of hope. And I know some of you probably don't know Jeremy, but um, I just, and, when th and you know, I got so excited about it. I thought when Emma tells the church, I don't know how it's going to go. And, Lord, you just have your way and have your will in the service. But I am prepared to talk about Jesus, our hope. But I want to let you know that we've got bread charts and if you've never read your Bible through in a year, let me challenge you to do that. Um, it only takes a few minutes a day. It's like three chapters a day. Anybody can do it. And these will be out front tonight if you want to get one. <clears throat> so we're about to celebrate Christmas. And what is Christmas? Christmas is a, an annual festival commemorating what the birth of christ but nowadays people want to take the christ out of christmas tis the season to be jolly yet there seems to be a shortage of joy we have an abundance of things but that doesn't satisfy there's always something new Oh, if I just had that. We expect marriage to make us happy. And it does till it doesn't. If I just had a better job, made more money, if I just had this house paid for, always chasing the end of the rainbow. God has given us so many wonderful things to enjoy, blessings we often take for granted, but he never intended for us to be fully at home in this world. He's preparing a better place for us. In the meantime, he's given us the earnest of our inheritance. He's given us a down payment, a little taste of heaven, which is the Holy Ghost, to encourage us and help us on our journey and he's, a, he's promised abundant life now and then eternal life. We can't lose. For seasoned saints, though, we know that abundant life, Emma, doesn't always mean idyllic circumstances. Abundant life is the constant presence of Jesus, an abiding 
love and abiding peace and joy in the midst of all circumstances. We have a hope and a contentment that only Christ can give. Your husband can't give it to you. Your wife can't give it to you. Your kids can't give it to you. No amount of money can give it to you. Only Christ. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You hope for things you don't have. Not getting the things we hope for can sometimes lead to hopelessness, right? When relationships go sour, our kids get in trouble, bad things happen, overwhelming problems make us feel like things are hopeless. But this chapter says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith says keep believing and trust in God for the things you hope for, even though there's no evidence of it right now. What is it you're hoping for? You know, in a very bad time of my life when there was a lot of family struggle going on, I was driving to church one Sunday evening. That's when we still had Sunday night service. And I was talking to the Lord out loud. I was in the car by myself. And, you know, I began to tell the Lord, you know, about my situation. And and I was like, you know, I, I want to believe this can change, Lord, but I'm sorry. I said, I'm sorry, Lord. Here are the facts. And I began to list the facts. One, two, three. I'm sorry, Lord, but these are the facts. I get to church, you know, real, real encouraged, (laughs) in a real good mood. And we we had an evangelist that had never been here before, so he didn't know my situation. And he's never been back. He was there that one Sunday. I was sitting right down here on the front row. And he announced the title of his message, Faith That Fights the Facts. And I felt like somebody hit me upside the head with a two-by-four. And I was like, really, God? You heard me. (laughs) Of course he heard me. That's what the Bible is trying to get across to us, that God is involved in people's lives if you want him to be involved if you invite him in faith that fights the facts this is the kind of faith that triumphs in the worst situations this is the kind of faith that pleases God so Hebrews 11 you've all read it It builds a foundation on the life of Abraham, the father of the faith. In order to point us to the hope we have in Christ, God called Abraham to leave his country but gave no set destination, which way to go, 
how far, or even how to know when he got there. Can you imagine what his family thought? You're moving? Yes. Well, why? I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Well, where is that? Well, I don't know. Well, how long will you be gone? Well, I'm not sure. Are you ever coming back? I don't know. Sometimes trials and storms of life leave us confused, and we don't know which way to go. We don't know the reason, how long it will last, or what the outcome will be. That's where faith comes in. One definition of hope is trust. Look it up in the dictionary. Hope says trust. Our trust is in our God, which gives us hope that he knows and that he is in control. You know what? Our family and friends didn't understand when we moved here. Why do you want to move? Y'all are involved in everything here. There's plenty of ministry opportunities. What, what are you moving for? One preacher friend got on his knees and begged my husband not to bring us over here. But God had spoken, and we knew without a doubt it was the will of God. But then after we got here, a mighty, tempestuous storm broke loose. <laughs> say the least. We didn't understand that storm. We didn't know how long it would last. We didn't know why it was happening. God, if you told us to come over here, why is this happening? We didn't know what the outcome would be. We just knew we were supposed to be here. But I have to tell you that in all my years of serving God, I have never experienced him like we did during that time. Phenomenal that the God of heaven can take time to speak to his children and give them direction. We learned that we can trust God just like Abraham did. Abraham, the father of the faith, was human just like us. There were times when even his faith wavered. He obeyed God and left his home. During a famine, they sojourned for a while in Egypt. And while they were there, Abraham lied to the king about his wife, Sarah. She was so beautiful, he was afraid they would kill him to take her. So he lied and said, this is my sister. But the Lord intervened. Sarah was restored unharmed to her husband, proving to Abraham that God could be trusted no matter the situation. What is crazy to me is that he not only did it that time, he did it another time. Same scenario. You know, so that shows you the Bible is full of examples of human beings that lost their faith, that made mistakes, that failed God. But did God cut them off? Did he strike them with lightning? No. We serve a merciful God. And he loves us. 
He's not just waiting for us to slip up so he can kill us. He wants to help us. And he's very forgiving and loving. And then, the father of the faith. God told Abraham, he said, I I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth. Look up at the stars. If you can count them, that's how much your offspring will be. And yet, here they are. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90, and they have no children. They tried to help God out, you know, with Sarah's handmaid, Hagar, and she had a baby. But God said, no, that's not the promised child. Sarah's going to have a child. And Abraham, you know what he did? He fell on his face and laughed. The father of the faith, imagine. So later, God sent three men to Abraham and Sarah with a message. And the men walked up and they said, Abraham, where's your wife? And he said, well, she's in the tent. And the man said, according to the time of life, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. Now, Sarah was in the tent and heard all of this. And she laughed to herself. And she said, after I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? So Sarah laughed, and God said, Sarah laughed. Why did she laugh? And Sarah denied, said, I didn't laugh, because she was afraid. And God said, Nay, but you did laugh. (laughs) That makes me think of when I used to get on to Aiden. I'd be so mad at him. And he'd, I'd be trying to catch him, and he'd be jumping around like a long-legged spider. Daddy long-legged spider, is that what they call them? The big old long legs? And I'd be laughing, and I'd say, I'm laughing, but I'm mad. But I imagine God laughs at us sometimes. He said, Sarah, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Yes, you did laugh. And you know what else God said? He said, is there anything too hard for God? And I repeat, is there anything too hard for God? What are you struggling with tonight? What are you hoping for? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. God wants you to be saved. He wants to help you. Our hope is grounded in our acceptance of God's word that Jesus is God's son sent into the world to save us from our sins. Our hope is based on the promise that one day he's going to come back and he's going to take us to heaven. Are you ready? Are you ready to go? Are you prayed up? Heaven, a place that the Bible says, no eye has seen No ear has heard, and neither has any mind been able to to conceive the glory, 
that God has prepared for those that love him. There's, there's a lot of things down here that I love. Music will send me into heaven um, by itself. But then the beautiful outdoors. Me and Brother Grant went to Branson a few weeks ago, and we rode a little golf cart down this nature trail. And I was like, oh, look at that. Oh, stop, stop. And getting pictures, and it was, oh, look at that. Oh, it's beautiful. I love God's creation and outdoors and, the, and nature. I love music. I love babies and children. I mean, there's so much about life that is wonderful. But heaven, heaven, we can't even conceive in our minds. The grandest, greatest thing that we enjoy on earth will be nothing compared to heaven. Just yesterday, I saw a good friend of mine. And um, she was here visiting some family in Texas. And she was telling me about her aunt that just passed away. And um, she said while she was on her deathbed, actually, her she kind of like had gone into a coma or something. I don't know what happened. And her husband called 911. They were able to revive her. And she said, why did you do that? They had a son that died many years ago from, uh, he was a juvenile diabetic and he had complications and he passed away. She said, why did you do that? There's, her, she said, our son was reaching for me. I was almost there. Can you imagine that God would let our family come to meet us when we cross over? We can't imagine the things that God has prepared for us. And concerning death, God says, you know, in his word, he tells us, don't be afraid. Comfort one another with these words. You have hope. The grave is not the end of the story. And when we die, we're going to be gathered to our family for those that love God and live for God. So Jesus, our hope, he's our anchor. Emma talked a lot about hope tonight. Don't lose hope. We have hope. As long as we have God, we have hope. I've got one more scripture that I want to share with you, and it's Hebrews 6, 19, and 20. It says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want to read to you what Adam Clark's commentary says. I really like what he says. The hope of eternal life is here represented as the soul's anchor. The world is the boisterous, dangerous sea. The Christian course, the voyage, the port is everlasting happiness, and the veil or inner road, the royal dock in which that anchor was cast. And what that's talking about right there is when Jesus died on the cross, that veil in the temple was rent in two. The holy of holies where only the high priest could go once a year to make atonement for our sins. 
Jesus' death did away with that. This anchor went past the veil, making a way for us to approach his throne boldly. The storms of life continue but a short time. The anchor, hope, if fixed by faith in the eternal world, will infallibly prevent all shipwreck. The soul may be tossed by various temptations, but will not drive because the anchor is in the sure ground and itself is steadfast. It does not drag and it does not break. Faith, like the cable, is the connecting medium between the ship and the anchor or the soul in its hope of heaven. Faith sees the haven Hope desires and anticipates the rest. Faith works and hope holds fast. And shortly the soul enters into the haven of eternal repose. Jesus, our anchor, our hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ's solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Jesus, our hope. An anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let the winds blow. Let the waters surge. Let the questions fly. Let the threats come. Let the world speed on. We have an anchor. We have a hope. Joy to the world. We are grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Can we just stand and praise God? And He is our hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.